We just kind of got started. We looked at verses 1 through 5. We kind of dabbled in 6 and 7 a little bit. Today we're going to try to cover most of 22. And, and if you, a theme, we didn't say this last time, and I'm not going to really harp on it today, but I will go ahead and say it, that a theme that you will find going on in the book of Ruth is the kin's redeemer or kinsman's redeemer, however you want to say it. I've, I've seen it written both ways. And again, we're going to find out as we rock on over the next couple of Sunday mornings looking at this, that Boaz is going to be that kin's redeemer. And so we're going to look at that in a relationship with Ruth. And, uh, and, and even though I've said it before, even though Jesus, his name is not mentioned in the book of Ruth, he is all in the book of Ruth because why? He is our kin's redeemer. And so that's the things we're going to bring out, bring out over the next few weeks. But today again, we're just kind of, kind of laying some foundation, so to speak. So in verse 6, chapter 1 of the book of Ruth, we're going to read down probably to verse 17 and then we'll, we'll kind of start breaking it apart as we go along. But it says, Then she arose with her daughter-in-laws that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard of the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your house, or excuse me, to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband... Tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you, for wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Let us pray this morning. Dear Lord, as we bow before you, God, we are so thankful to be in your house. We're thankful for your word. And God, we're thankful for what it has spoken into our lives this week. And God, for just a moment, as we take just a small amount of time just to look at a few verses, God, I pray that it is you that speaks through these verses. I pray you bless the reading of it. I pray that it's you that speaks. And, and God, I pray it's not anything we have to say or what we want to say. But God, it's what you're saying to us through your word. And I pray that the Holy Spirit this morning would have full reign in here, God, that as we listen to what you're saying, I pray that the Holy Spirit would take your words, Lord, 
And God, we would be just cut to our heart. We'd be convicted of our sins. And God, we'd be drawn back to you, Lord. If Wherever we happen to be at this morning, God, we may be in the place of Naomi, Ruth, or Orpah. But God, I pray that what we return back to today would be you. If we're not where we need to be at with you, God, I pray that we would return back and we would get back in step with you. So God, I pray you'd bless this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I appreciate, I, I told the Sunday night crowd this last Sunday night, I was back here, but I'll, some of you may not have been here, and I'll, that was here Sunday morning, so I'll say it again, but I appreciate you allowing my son Austin and his wife Olivia to come be a part of church last Sunday, and, and for you guys allowing him a chance to speak uh, was a blessing to me. I got to watch the sermon later on on Facebook, but, <coughs> goodness. But we, uh, we had a commitment we had made, and we had to fulfill that commitment, Connie and I, at another church to go. We, we had told them we'd go speak quite a while back. But let me tell you, I miss being here. I couldn't wait to get back here Sunday night. So, And, it's, and you're a good-looking crowd this morning. Well, no, I didn't say, oh, well, some of you are better looking than other ones, you know. But, uh, you know, some of you better than others, you know. But Kim thinks you looks good, and that's all that matters, right? So... No, I'm just kidding, David. I'm messing with you. Uh, Andy laughed awful hard at that, though, David. I'd slap him on the back of the head if I were you. <laughs> it wouldn't, would it? It wouldn't do any good. But we are thankful to be back this morning. We missed being with you last Sunday morning, but uh, to be back today is, is a blessing. And, and you are a good-looking crowd. Uh, glad, uh, glad to see you guys this morning. But how will you return? That's the whole... The whole question this morning is how will you return? We're going to just jump right into it this morning. If you remember, real quick, like, we're not going to get into a lot of details because we don't want to drag out a lot of time here talking about something we've already talked about. But if you'll remember about three weeks ago, we started off in these first couple of verses here and we'll see how they ended up in Moab because the Bible tells us in verse 1 that uh, this was the day of the judges, so Ruth... Ruth is written kind of in the time that the book of Judges records about. If you read the book of Judges, you'll see that there was no king. Uh, people did what was right in their own eyes, more or less. And in the process of doing that, Ruth and her, and her people, they lived in this time period during the book of Judges. So when we read here and it says in verse 1 that there was a famine in the land, just to recap, probably the reason, the Bible doesn't tell us, but the reason that there was a famine in the land probably was because the people of God had turned their backs on God. If you read through the book of Judges, you'll see again, real quick like, that what often happened was God's people would turn their backs on God and then He would have to cause something to come into their lives. Either either a famine or, or, or somebody would come in and, and take them over and rule them for a little while or He would use these pagan nations to chastise His people so that they would turn back to Him. So more than likely, the famine in the land was because their people, God's people, wasn't doing what they were supposed to be doing. So, but instead of repentance, and we're going to look at this a little more in just a moment, but instead of repentance on behalf of Naomi and her husband there, Elimelech, and their two sons, Malon and Chilion, it says that they left Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to the land of Moab, which was not something that God would have been happy with because the Moabites were people that were against God. Now, we don't have time to break all that down again, but the Moabs were not godly people. So instead of repenting and, and staying where they were at, they fled in their disobedience. 
And that is, that's never a good thing. But we remember, if you remember, while they were there, it was a 10-year period. Naomi lost her husband, Elimelech. And then the two sons, Malon and Chilion, they took Moabite wives, which was Orpah and Ruth. And in the process of that 10 years, both of Naomi's sons, Malon and Chilion. What would you like to have two sons named, Malon and Chilion? Where's Malon at? Go get Chilion. What a name. Good gracious. Anyway, they died in the 10 years that they were in Moab. And so now all we've got is a, a, a woman named Naomi and two daughter-in-laws. And we find ourselves here in verse 6. And we see here that it says, then, well, I tell you what, let's just jump. Let's go on down to verse 13. Let's, let's take it like that. We'll come back to 6 in a moment. I'm going to be all over the place in chapter 1 this morning. There's a lot of verses here. I've been trying to condense this down for about three days now. And I think that maybe we did it. But point number one is this. Naomi returned bitter. Because the question was, how will you return? When Naomi returned bitter, look in verse 13. This is what it tells us. Now, I'm just kind of jumping right into it here. It says, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? Notice what she says in the latter part of 13. No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand, this is what I want you to get, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. This is, where, this is where Naomi is at in her life. Now, I know we jumped over a bunch of verses to get here, but I want you to look at where Naomi's at. She's bitter because she feels like the hand of the Lord has gone out against her. If you jump over into verse 19, we can support this, her bitterness, with these verses. It says, now the two of them, now this is, now Ruth and Naomi have made their way back to Bethlehem at this point. It says, Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? It had been 10 years, and now all of a sudden Naomi's rolling back through it to her hometown. The people see her and they go, Is this Naomi? But notice what she says. Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Lord Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Now, why does she not want to be called Naomi? Because Naomi means pleasant. That's what, that, that's what her name means. It means pleasant one or pleasant. Mara, on the other hand, means bitter. So she says, don't call me Naomi. I'm not feeling very pleasant right now. Okay? You ever had those days when you just felt sideways, you felt bitter? And, uh, and you know, people walk up to you and say, well, don't you look nice today? Well, I don't feel very nice. You know what I mean? You've had those days? Some of y'all there now, I'm looking at your faces. Some of y'all going, I don't feel very nice. So we're praying, for, we're praying about that. No, I'm kidding. Um, but she said, I'm bitter. Why was she bitter? Well, it says here, it says, I went out full. This is verse 21. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? Now, does it seem here like she's blaming God for her situation? That's, that's kind of what I'm taking away from this. She's bitter. She's upset. She's lost her husband. She's got, she's, she's got two daughter-in-laws. Uh, and, of course, we're just jumping all over the place here. But she feels like life has just dealt her a raw hand. But what we've got to stop and realize today is that God didn't tell her and Elimelech to leave the promised land. He never told them that. He never told them to pack up everything they had and go to, to the, the land of Moab. He didn't tell them that. 
He didn't say, you know what, I would, if I were you, instead of just repenting and getting your heart right, I'd just flee. He didn't say that. See, anytime God brings chastisement into our life, it's because He's trying to bring us back to what is the best for us. He doesn't, he doesn't like chastising us anymore than I like chastising my own children. But it, I want the best for them. And they can't get the best and be disobedient. So when God chastises us or brings something into our life to get our attention, He's simply trying to steer us back to where we need to be at because that's the best for our lives. But when we don't listen to that and we don't heed those words and we take matters into our own hand and we think we know best, it always gets us in a mess. It always does. And so we find here that the bitterness of Naomi is some of her own doings. But again, just to, re to remember, we get the idea that the children of Israel were not where they needed to be at due to the fact that there was a famine. But what they should have done is, is, is Naomi and her family, they should have just repented and stayed right where they were at. It's kind of like living in America right now. I listened to Charles Stanley briefly this morning as I was getting ready. He was on the TV there and I was listening to him preach and I don't remember everything that he preached. I don't even know where the scripture was from. I only caught a moment of it. But he was making out, he said, you know, right now there's a lot of chaos going on in our country. He said, then we're not pleased with all of that. He said, but I can't control what the country does. He said, I really can't. He said, but what I can control is what I do. He said, and in the midst of all the confusion and all the craziness, he said, God is going to be my refuge. He said, my refuge. He said, I'm going to find my strength in him no matter what everybody else does. And see, that's what we need to do today. That's what uh, Naomi and Elimelech and her family should have done. I may not agree with what's going on at the house next door to me. I may not agree with what's going on in my county or my state or my country. But at my house, I can choose. I can choose that in the middle of the mess, I'm going to keep praising God. I'm going to keep worshiping God. I'm going to keep leading my family in the way that I think they need to go as far as what God is telling us. I don't have to be okay with everything, but I don't flee and run. I hunker down where I'm at, and I pray even harder than I've ever prayed and say, God, help our country get back to where it needs to be at. That's where Naomi and Elimelech, I believe, should have been. I'm not judging them this morning. But I know it's easy for us to flee and I know it's easy for us to run when we need to just get on our knees where we're at, start praying for those around us that God would turn us back to where we need to be at. Notice what it says here of, in verse 6. We'll come back up there now. It says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. And I want to piggyback off the bitter, bitterness here just for a moment. We're still looking at Naomi here in point one. Notice what the latter half of verse 6 says. She heard in the country of Moab, while she was in Moab, she heard that the Lord had visited his people by giving them Bread. Now, the fact that the Lord had given his people bread gives us the idea that the children of Israel had repented and started turning back to God. God blessed them. When they repented and realized that they were wrong, God says, okay, now I'll bless you. No more than do I bless disobedient children in my house, God is not going to bless disobedient children in his house. And so when they obviously repented and got back where they needed to be at, God said, okay, I'll bless you with bread. But here's what I want you to know. But look at Naomi just for a second. The Bible doesn't tell us either way, but we can assume and we can draw the conclusion simply by what we do read 
is that Naomi did not return back to her home because she was out of the will of God. Why did she return? Well, there was food there. She was hungry. There was food there. The Bible says that she found out that there was food, and so she says, let's go back to Bethlehem. I heard that there's food there now. Well, that was the wrong reason to go back. Wouldn't you agree? And I, I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, Naomi's decision was right, but her motive was wrong. She was still interested primarily in food, not in fellowship with God. And so we see here that her intentions were all wrong. What she should have done, she should have said, I need to get back to the promised land. I need to get back to where God put me. I need to get back to Bethlehem. Why? Because I am not where God would have me to be. I'm broken. I've got a repentant heart. I'm, I'm out of step with God. I've got to get back. And sometimes I see that in our own lives if we're not careful. Instead of being sorry that we got out of God's will, we're just simply sorry because we missed out on something or we're sorry because our life is falling apart around us and we just don't like the fact that it's falling apart. But what really what we ought to do instead of being bitter and upset because it's falling apart, stop and say, why, why am I bitter? Why is my, my, why is my life falling apart? Maybe it's because we profess to be children of God, and if we're children of God and we're living contrary to God's will, He's not going to bless that. That's what it all boils down to. She should have looked and said, I should have never been here. You ever been in a place in your life before where you looked and said, I shouldn't be here? And even, even stopped and looked at yourself and said, how did I even get here? Well, it didn't happen overnight. Usually when we find ourselves in a mess, it all hinges on a bunch of small, stupid decisions. Not in one big one. Usually it's a bunch of small decisions that we have made along the way. Because can I tell you, if you choose to be a disobedient in one thing, you'll choose to be disobedient in another thing, and another thing, and another thing, and it's like you're sliding down a slope. And before long, it is, it's like a snowball going down a hill. It picks up speed, and all of a sudden, the things that used to bother you don't bother you anymore. Why? Because you've kind of grown callous and numb to the sins and the wrong things and now you've accepted all of them and before long you and then and then you know what and God man he just lets us go he lets us go you know why because probably all along the way in those little decisions he was trying to say hey hey pay attention back over here you're not going the right way over here and finally God says fine go you know why because God realizes just like the children of Israel we're no different he realizes, you know what, they're going to have to roll right into that big oak tree down there at the bottom of that hill before they'll ever wise up. And we have to smack that thing head on, wham! And then all of a sudden we get shook into our senses and go, how did I end up here? And we look back and go, oh, that's how I ended up here. It was a bunch of stupid decisions. It all started with that one small thing that didn't seem that big a deal, but it was a pretty big deal. It was a big deal. They pick on me about that. I say that a lot, big deal my girls. But anyway, that's how we get to where we're at. And that's where Naomi's at. A bunch of small decisions caused them to, uh, to want to run from God. And now they find themselves out there. But, and, but still, you would have thought in everything that she had gone through, you would think Naomi would have wised up and said, man, I got to get my life back in order. It's a mess. But even then, she still hadn't wised up. She says, I found there's food there. Let's go back. Let's go back and um, let's go back to Bethlehem because that's where the food's at. And you, can I tell you, I believe sometimes in life, I believe we've all been there if we'll be honest with ourselves this morning. 
I believe too many times we become irritated and bitter over our circumstances and maybe even sideways with God because life didn't turn out the way we wanted it to. And it's not God's fault. It's not God's fault at all. Sometimes life just happens, okay? You can be the most godly person in the world and life just happens. I mean, I've known some very godly people that have dealt with, with a lot of health issues all their lives. It's just life. Because we live in a broken world and we live in a very ungodly world and we have sin in our lives. Part of the, the fall of man is that we live in, in bodies that are deteriorating. And, but I also look around sometimes and I see in my life and I see in a lot of other people's life too that we're where we're at because we make dumb decisions. We make very dumb decisions. And God is trying to get us back. But instead of getting back right with God like we should, we want to blame things. We want to blame people. We want to blame God. We want, it's, it's always somebody else's fault. But most of the time it's ours. It's our fault. But, you know, as we've been talking about David on Wednesday nights, remember as he wrote Psalms 51, he was a broken person over his sin. And until he became broken over his sin, remember we talked about owning it, not blaming somebody else? Until he owned his sins and repented of it, only then could he get back right with God. And that's where we're at this morning. That's where Naomi should have been at, but she wasn't. Now look here in point number two. Let's look at Orpah. Point number two is Orpah returned home to Moab. Point one was Naomi returned bitter. Point two is that Orpah returned home to Moab. We just want to hit a couple of quick things here. This won't be long. But notice what it says in verse 15. We're going to just kind of be jumping all over the place here. It says, And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Now she's talking to Ruth as she says this. But I want you to hang on to that statement right there just for a second. Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Hang on to that. That's good stuff. Um, if you look back in verse 9, you'll see that the same thing kind of took place. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them. This is Naomi addressing Orpah and Ruth. And they lifted up their voices and they wept. Verse 14 Prior to 15, says, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. I read you a bunch of verses out of order, but I want you to get what's going on here. Ruth, in just a few moments, is going to decide to stay. But Orpah, in kissing her mother-in-law and weeping, she's about to make a decision to go back. And if you remember what we said a while ago, to kind of lay some groundwork here briefly, we read these verses in starting out, that what, what Naomi was telling her daughter-in-laws is, you guys go back home. You know, I, I know that by customs and laws, that if I had some other sons, they would marry you, but I don't have any more children. I don't have any more sons. I don't even have a husband. Naomi says, if you guys were going to wait for me to have children, first off, I'm too old to have children. That's what Naomi was saying. She said, but if I could find a husband and have children, are you willing to wait that long? And so she was telling them, really what's best for you is you need to go back and stay in the land of Moab with your people and, and just you don't need to come home with me. Just y'all go back, live your lives. And so Naomi was trying to send them back. And we see Orpah here. She's getting ready to return back to her people. But now here's what I want you to get here. Go back to that statement that I told, told you to hold on to. 
She says, you need to return back to your people and to your gods. Or she's telling Ruth that Orpah's going back to her people and her gods. Now, I, I got a question here. Why would Naomi tell her that? Let us sink in just for a second. Why would she tell her that? And you can say, well, but she just said she didn't have any more sons. But listen, Naomi is supposed to be a God-fearing woman. That's what she's supposed to be. Why? Because she's a Jew. She, she came from the promised land. She is supposed to worship the one true God. But yet she told her daughter-in-law, Orpah, and Ruth, but Ruth didn't listen to her, thank the Lord, but Orpah, she says, Orpah, why don't you go back and, and live with your people and worship your gods, little G. More or less what she's saying now, and I say this in love, okay? So y'all don't take any of this out of context. But more or less what she was saying in her statement is go back and live in the land of your pagan gods, grow up and die and go to hell. I don't care. That's pretty much what she was saying. You said, Brother Vance, that's hard. I don't know how any other way to take it. Because what she's saying is, I really don't care what happens to you. And here's what I think. I'm going to give you Vance's opinion, okay? This is Vance Colley's opinion. It probably ain't worth 10 cents, but it's my opinion. I believe why she didn't want her daughter-in-laws to go back with her. Do you think it might have been that when she returned back into her land amongst her people and she had two Moabite daughter-in-laws, what was that going to look like? It was going to scream, you guys got way out of God's will and you went and allowed your sons to marry Moabite women, which is way against God's law. And so it was going to, it was going to come back and reflect poorly upon her. In other words, she wasn't really worried about Orpah and Ruth as much as what people would think about her. I honestly, I'm just going to be upfront with you. At this point in Scripture, at this point, Naomi is so bitter that she's focused on herself and nobody else. Bitterness will do that. Bitterness, and it'll, it'll cause you to become self-consumed. It's all about me. She didn't care nothing about those two daughter-in-laws. It was all about what people thought about her. She was trying to hide the sin of her and her late husband. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Here's what I think should have happened, and this is, again, Vance's opinion. I believe Naomi, if she truly loved those daughter-in-laws, would have wanted to brought them back to the promised land where the one true God was worshipped, where she could have had an impact in their lives. And truthfully, listen, if they've been in that family for 10 years and they haven't had more of an impact on, for God in those two ladies' lives, then that tells me Naomi and Limelech, which has been dead for quite a while now, I should say Naomi, has not lived a very godly life. And I'll say this right here. Everybody that's in your family, you may not like them, but you have to love them. They're your family. Amen? Do you want anybody in your family to die and go to hell? No, you shouldn't. Some of y'all are going, no, you shouldn't. Let me answer that for you. You should not want that for anybody. And so if God brought somebody into your family, sometimes it can be a son-in-law, sometimes it can be a daughter-in-law, Sometimes it might be a brother-in-law. They may not be your first choice. But listen, God brought them into your family maybe for a reason. Maybe they don't know Jesus Christ. Maybe it is your opportunity to have an impact in their life. Because you know what? Your family. We told Olivia, she was here uh, last Sunday, as I mentioned a while ago. But when her and Austin got married, um, 
we told her up front that, you know, when you marry Austin, you're in for life. There is, there's no backing out. So you need to make up your mind whether you want to be a collie or not because once you're a collie, you're a collie. You're here. Matter of fact, when we were out in Montana, she, one day over at the house, she made some comment about being, an, and I'd already told her this, but I was reiterating the point, and I told her back when they got married, but uh, she made something about uh, being my favorite daughter-in-law, which she's my older, only daughter-in-law. But, but um, I said, you're not my daughter-in-law. And she got this look. She went, you know, I said, what did I tell you when you got married to my son? I said, you're my daughter. I said, I don't look at you as a daughter-in-law. You're my daughter. I said, I will fight for you just as much as I'd fight for my son. You are stuck with me. Whether you like it or not, you are stuck. And, and so we love her like that. When family comes in, they're family. You, and so Naomi should have looked at her two daughter-in-laws and said, I want to be as a godly of an influence in these two women's lives that I can possibly be. Why? Naomi was older. She would have had a major influence in her lives, but instead she didn't see it that way. She didn't care, obviously, what happened to those two ladies. She should have wanted them, wanted them to be back with her to where they could worship the one true God. But I don't believe, I don't believe Naomi was walking with God as she should. And so when we do that, when we're not walking with God, we have a tendency not to care about the people that are around her, around us. And so I have to ask you this question before we move on to point three. Would we by any chance be there today as a church? And I, I can't answer that for you. I can only answer for myself. But as a church today, where, where are we at? Are we too busy living our lives? Are we even too busy sometimes caught up in our own sin to, to, to care about other people around us? I believe we can get there if we're not careful. I believe as Christians and as a church, we can become so consumed in what we're doing that we give no thought to the people around us that need to have the influence of God in their lives. We need to be sharing the gospel, but most of all, we need to be sharing the love of Jesus Christ. And sometimes, as we said Wednesday night, that's just through building relationships with the people that God allows to come in and out of our lives. Even when people mistreat you, do your best to treat them nice. That's hard. That's hard. I struggle with that. Okay? I, I struggle with that a lot. Um, but that's what we're supposed to do. Point number three. Before we get into point number two, if you'll notice, Orpah did return back to Moab. That's where she stayed. She went back to her people, her gods. The Bible says nothing about her ever having a relationship with the Lord. Matter of fact, the Bible doesn't speak of her ever again. This is how she leaves. This is how she leaves right here. It just says that she went back in so many words. And we don't read anything else about her. We can assume she died without knowing the Lord in a personal way. But notice here, Ruth returned with Naomi to Bethlehem. This is point number three. Ruth returned with Naomi to Bethlehem. Notice as, as we said a while ago in verse 15, Naomi's trying to tell Ruth to, to, she needed to go back too, just like Orpah did. But verse 16 says this, But Ruth said, Entreat me not. Entreat means to urge She's basically saying, urge me not to leave you or to go back or to turn back from following after you. Forever, for wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. 
the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Now, I have this, I don't have an answer to this, okay? It's a question I pondered all week, but I don't have an answer. Maybe you do, and if so, afterwards, I, I welcome your opinion. But we see Orpah, with what seems to be no godly influence in her life, go back and stay in Moab. We see Naomi, who's bitter and doesn't seem to be really walking really close to God. But yet somewhere in the middle of all of this, Ruth got something about God. Does anybody else see that? In other words, Ruth is saying, your God will be my God. And I'm looking and going, okay, what transpired? The Bible doesn't tell us, but we do know if we were to flip over into verse uh, 12 of chapter 2, we do know that over here with Boaz, the comment is made. It says, the Lord repay your work and a full reward given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. And so I believe here in verse 16 and 17 in chapter 1 that where Ruth says, your God will be my God. I believe right here, this is her converging experience, so to speak. As a Moabite who grew up worshiping God, I believe at this point is where she's saying, I'm all in. I'm all in to serve the Lord. I'm, I'm going to worship the Lord. And you say, Brother Vance, how do you know that? Well, first off, as we're going to look here in just a moment, she was willing to leave her homeland. She was willing to leave her people. She was willing to leave behind everything she knew to follow Naomi and her God. And listen, church, that's what God's calling us to do today. If we are truly a believer of Jesus Christ, if we have truly put our faith in Christ, what he's asking us to do is to abandon everything in all things to follow him. But our problem oftentimes is that's the struggle, is being willing to leave everything, being willing to walk away from everything, being willing to lay everything down to follow the Lord. Too many times we want to go, I want to follow you, Lord, but I don't want to give that up. Lord, I want to follow you, but I'm not willing to pay that price. A matter of fact, if you remember, there were several times in the Bible where people came to Jesus and they said, I've done all of this. What must I do to be a follower? And Jesus said, then go do this. And they went away sorrowful because they were not willing to pay that price. If we're going to be truly committed to Christ today, we've got to be willing to forsake all to follow him. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He says, Talking about the three ladies, he said, Naomi was trying to cover up. Orpah was, had, had given up, but Ruth, she was prepared to stand up and follow the Lord. I want you to note, and, and I'm, I'm getting ready to close. I, I got three more pages of notes and I'll be done. No, not three. I'm in my last point and I'm wrapping it up. But here's, uh, hey, you guys need to go ahead and go get the chicken now, okay? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I, that's a joke with some of y'all in here. I, my girls drive separate so they can make the, the uh, chicken run at Piggly Wiggly. By the time I get through preaching and get out, all the chicken's gone. So I, my girls drive separately so they can go get the chicken. I'm kidding. A little, sort of. Um, but notice, see, I can preach long because I got the chicken covered. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm not worried about you. All right. Notice this here. Ruth had experienced some of the same setbacks that everybody else had, hadn't she? Now, I know Naomi's probably suffered the most. She's lost a husband and sons. But we see Ruth here. She's lost a husband. She, she doesn't have her husband anymore. He's died. And so uh, the sister-in-law that she might have been close to, she's went back to live in Moab. 
And so it's just her and Naomi. In other words, she had as much right to be bitter. And we can look around the room this morning and we can all can compare notes. You may have more to be bitter about than I do, but I'm sure I got reasons to be bitter too. And I'm sure you got reasons to be bitter. We all do. But we see here that Ruth was not bitter. Instead, Ruth was embracing God, embracing, excuse me, Naomi to go back. She wasn't blaming anybody. She was definitely wasn't blaming God. But instead, she was choosing to trust Him. And so, as I was studying this week, Warren Wiersbe in his commentary, he brought up a good point. He said, but you know, if, if Ruth was going back, now get this, you, you don't want to miss this. This is, this is the climax of everything today. If Ruth was going to go back and live in Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, how was that going to be possible? She was a Moabite. You see the problem there, okay? And you say, well, Brother Vance, I don't know what the problem is. If you were to look back in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 3, I'm going to read it to you. If you can mark it, I've, I've typed it out. It's the same time. There in Deuteronomy, it says, An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Because she was a Moabite, she was not welcome. She was an outsider, so to speak. You say, well, then, well, I'm glad you asked. Warren Wiersbe also said this. He said, how then could Ruth enter into the congregation of the Lord? By trusting God's grace and throwing herself completely on His mercy. He said, law excludes us from God's family. You want to get that. There's nothing any different going on right now in Ruth's life that went on in Vance's life, okay? And what I mean by that is I'm in the same place she's in. You get me? You are too. Law excludes us from God's family, but grace includes us if we put our faith in Christ. Isn't that good stuff? And this is what we're going to see all the way through the book of Ruth. Matter of fact, if you were to look through the genealogy, and we talked about this several, several weeks ago over in Matthew. I think we did it when we were talking about uh, Rahab on a Sunday night. But if you were to look in Matthew chapter 1 and you look at the, the genealogy, don't do it now, do it later. But if you were to look over there, you'll see five women. Five women mentioned in the genealogy there, the, the descendants of Jesus. And this is what you'll find. Four of them had very questionable credentials. You had Tamar. She committed incest with her father-in-law. That was in Genesis chapter 3, excuse me, Genesis uh, chapter 38. Rahab was a Gentile harlot living in Jericho, if you remember that. That comes out of Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Ruth, we're talking about now, was an outcast Gentile Moabitess. And then you've got the wife of Uriah, who was an adulteress with King David. So you ask the question, how did they become a part of the Messiah's family in the genealogy of Jesus? Through the sovereign grace and mercy of God. That's how they're there. They're not there because of who they were as people. They're not there because they were perfect. They were there because they put their faith and trust in Jesus. 
in a God who loved them. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, God is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that it all should come to repentance. And then we look at the fifth person mentioned there in the genealogy, and it would be Mary, the mother of Jesus. And you say, well, she didn't have a bad past. No, but there was nothing special about her either. She got to be the mother of Jesus because she put her faith and trust in God. The Bible called her faithful and she found grace in God's eyes. She was no different than anybody else. She was just a young girl that God looked down upon and said, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to bring my son into the world. And so this morning, I want to close with this thought. And again, there's so much more to bring out of this chapter. And we're going to come back and visit there again next Sunday morning. And I feel like I'm just kind of cutting it off right here. But I want to stop just for a moment and ask you this question. How will you return? There's some of you maybe sitting in here this morning, you may be bitter because life has just dealt you a bad hand. And you say, it's one thing after the other. Listen, again, life just happens sometimes, but then sometimes it might be because God's trying to guide you back. God might be trying to get you back where you belong. If you profess to be a child of God, then you are His. And you can't live however you want to and be a child of God. You have to live by His standards, not yours. And then you may be like Orpah. You may be here today and, you know, I think about Orpah. I think about she was living in, a, in, in supposedly a godly family, a family who knew God and probably worshipped God at some point. And I believe we'll see Naomi worship God again in this book. But she's in this family and even though she's in a godly family, I feel like, okay, she is so close, so close to being a follower of God. I mean, to be affiliated with a family that loves the Lord, I mean, she was so close. If the right thing had been said or if the right example had been demonstrated, she might have put her faith and trust in God. But we don't read that, do we? We see that she turned and went back home. And I can't help but think this morning that there's people sitting here today that may be this close, this close to following the Lord. You say, well, Vance, you don't know how close I am. You're in the building. Being in the building, being in the building don't save you, but you're under, my, you're under the sound of my voice now. And listen, there is nothing special about what I've said, but there is something awesome about what God has to say. You've heard this morning that God loves you. You've heard this morning that Jesus loves you and wants to save you. Matter of fact, I read it to you a while ago. I'll read it to you again just so we don't have any confusion when you walk out the door today. 2 Peter 3, 9, God is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins so that we would all put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But there'll be some sitting here today, possibly. There's probably some watching at home, possibly, that'll watch this sermon today or sometime this week. They'll hear that Jesus Christ loves them and that He died for their sins, and yet they're still going to choose to not put their faith and trust. So close, so close, and yet so far away because they're just choosing to not follow. And, and you know... and. Connie and I were talking the other day, and there's a, there's a, a family that we know, and she was sharing this with me, and, and the wife's a believer and the husband's not, and he has been witnessed to, he's been poured into, he's been at church, and, all, and yet he's still years, years, and he still has not chosen to put his faith and trust in God. And I sometimes just want to grab people like that and go, do you realize that you're not promised a tomorrow? You're not. And what we fail to realize sometimes, and we need to realize this this morning, it's not a scare tactic, it's gospel, it's the truth, that we're all closer to death than we think we are. Every one of us are closer to death than we think we are. 
We think we have years ahead of us, and we don't know what we have ahead of us. Kim got on to me Wednesday night. I said the other day, 25 years later, I told you couldn't do the math that fast. Kim done the math for me. But 25 years from now, my son will be 50 and I'll be 70 if God uh, tarries. And I made that a comment about being, that being old. Kim told me I needed to be careful because I was calling 70-year-old people old. And I said, well, I wasn't calling them old. I said, but let's just be honest that it's older than 50, you know. <laughs> 70 is older than 50. And here's what I realized. As a 50-year-old person, I'm a lot closer to death than I was as a 40-year-old person. A lot closer than I was as a 49-year-old person. Every day I live, I am one day closer to death. The Bible tells me that God has numbered my days. He knows. He knows when I'm going home. But I don't. So which means I can't live my life just however I want to. I need to live it in seriousness. So today, some of y'all may walk out of here and go, man, that was a great message. Uh, wow, that was good. And, uh, but, but not today. And it may be your last chance to hear the gospel. Maybe your last chance to make a decision. Or we might be like Ruth today. We might decide to put all of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and live for Him. See, God had a plan for Ruth. God's got a plan for us today. But we've all got to be willing to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, to live our lives according to His will, not according to our will and our wants. The problem is so many times, though, is our will and our wants do get in the way. And so this morning, as we get ready to have our invitation, you could be in one of those three groups today, but I feel like you're probably in one of those three groups. And you need to make a decision of what you're going to do with Jesus. No one can make it for you. You have to make it for yourself. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, again, we thank you, Lord, for this time. Lord, that you've allowed us to share. And God, the things that you have put on our heart this week, God, I do pray for those who, who may be bitter this morning. I pray, God, that they would surrender everything they have to you. And, Lord, they would just follow you with all of their heart, no matter what their circumstances are. God, I pray for those that are sitting here today, Lord, who's hearing, but, God, they've already made up their minds. That, God, they're going to walk back out the way they came in. God, I pray for conviction upon their heart today, Lord, that they would realize that they need you more than they need anything else in this life. Without, apart from you, God, we have nothing. And God, I pray, I pray for those today, Lord, who have, are in their mind have already decided, Lord, I'm going to follow you. God, I, I pray that you give them the strength to make the decisions that they need to make, God, to follow you. I know it's easy to make that decision inside this building. But Lord, when they walk out those doors, it's going to get hard. God, give them what they need this morning, right here, right now, to commit to you, Lord, in order to follow you with all of their hearts as they leave, to be an example to those around them. God, I just pray that this invitation this morning, God, would be to your honor and your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.